Thank you, worship team. The, the bassist was particularly handsome today. Um, dear church, it's wonderful to be with you this morning. Um, what a, an exciting uh, Sunday to be here for. Thank you for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you. <clears throat> I want to go ahead and jump uh, right in to go ahead and throw Acts chapter 6 up on the screen. So we're jumping right into the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. And there's already trouble here right at the start of chapter 6. And so it says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the disciples, uh, the original twelve, gathered all the disciples, that's the church, together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, preaching and teaching the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Townview, let this fact bring you comfort. The first church was dysfunctional. We are here in the, the sixth chapter of Acts. Jesus has only left the scene five chapters ago, but the church is already in trouble. The, the church in Jerusalem is doing its best to provide care to their community, but as it turns out, they're not doing the best job. And the people have started to notice something kind of ugly. There, there's a trend to uh, some of the short falls here in the church's distribution of care. If we look back at verse 1, we, we see that there is a complaint from the Hellenistic Jews that the Hebraic Jews who are running the Jerusalem church were overlooking the Hellenistic widows. Now, these categories uh, are pretty much lost to us uh, today, So let me take a moment to make it a little more clear. You see, the so-called Hebraic Jews were the Jewish conservative locals. These were Hebrew-speaking Jews, born and raised in the Holy Homeland. They had access to the temple, the synagogues, and all of the beautiful tradition of their faith. Meanwhile, the, the so-called Hellenistic Jews were a cultural minority in this church. These were Jews that had been scattered from their ancestral homelands of Israel and Judah and were now living abroad. They had intermarried. They had taken on aspects of foreign culture. They spoke the language of the empire. So the Hebraic Jews, they, they kind of see the Hellenistic Jews as compromisers, maybe as liberals, uh, not quite as devout 
as they are. They see them as second class of a different culture, a different people group, a different race. So suddenly we can see the situation for what it is. People are being excluded. And not just people, the widows, those already at the bottom, those already the most vulnerable, are being excluded from the benevolence of the church based on their background. This is a particularly ugly problem. Something truly insidious has happened here. The church has only been on the scene five chapters, and she is already infected with racism. The disciples must act quickly if they're going to get out ahead of this sin problem. But the problem isn't new. These groups have had animosity towards each other for generations. This is not a crisis. This is systemic. It's built into the culture that the church has sprung up in the midst of. So what do the disciples do? Verse 3, the brothers, they go to the brothers and sisters of the church and they say, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. We will turn over the responsibility of the benevolence ministry to them and they will, we will give our attention to prayer and the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas. Do you notice anything about these names? Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas. They, they don't sound very Jewish. These are not Hebrew names. Most of these are Hellenistic Greek names. The church's answer to racial exclusion was radical inclusion. They brought the voices that represented the hurting community to the table. They gave them the opportunity to show a way forward, validating their hurt, and with the humility to include them in leadership. And this radical action was the only answer here. The church was up against the power of systemic racism embedded in their culture. The sin of supremacy, the sin of haughty pride, had made room for the generational curse of racism to pollute their community, and the church had to face it. The issue at hand was not simply one of food distribution, but one of cultural identity. The solution was in creating a new identity, assigning a higher calling to unite people beyond their cultural backgrounds, to remind them that their participation in this new reality and a new way of relaying to others that they had stepped into something new, this grounding in a new narrative allowed them to break out of the systemic sin of their moment. The church creates a new office, that of the diakonos. Diakonos is where we get the word deacon. It's the big one up on the screen here. It shows up 29 times in the New Testament, and it's seen as masculine and feminine. When we break down the word into its original components, which I think is really interesting here, it's a strange combination of the word thoroughly and the word dirt. That's a strange way to build a word. In the New Testament, it usually refers 
to the Lord inspiring Christ's servants to carry out the plan for God's people. It's as if they're doing the work of the kingdom so diligently that they are thoroughly covered in the dirt and dust and grime of the work. It's to be that deep into the work. But the word is most frequently and most simply translated as servant. Today, we find ourselves trying to live into the vision of the church in the midst of a culture full of systemic issues. Systems that seek to, to trap and control us and the narratives in which we live. There are predatory systems that surround the rural and urban poor alike and seek to keep them dependent upon outside support, trapping them in ever-increasing debt with ever-shrinking opportunities for escape. There are cultural systems that shamelessly minimize human bodies to sexual objects. They trick men and boys into sinful entitlement and make girls and women feel required to live up to those expectations, constantly encouraging them, luring them, manipulating them to sexualize themselves. Hollywood, big tech, and Netflix are attempting to normalize the abuse of younger and younger bodies. There's racism built into our society, from the way loans are distributed to where schools are located, how laws are written, and how prisons are built. How about political division? Today, we are 50 days away from the next presidential election. Ugh. And there is a whole superstructure that wants us at each other's throats, from news networks to the entertainment industry and the advertisers that fund them, from social media sites that boost stories that get negative reactions from readers and writers, bloggers and reporters, who intentionally form stories and headlines so as to conjure the most possible outrage and those who are incentivizing to do so. I'm sure you can think of many other systemic problems in our world. Systems like these, systems that force us to play the game, even if we don't want to or don't know we're playing it, dominate our cultural landscape. Maybe this is why so many of today's self-help books talk about the difference between acting and reacting. A great number of us have discovered that if we just go with the flow, we'll get swept away. And if we want to make our own path to take control of our own lives, we're going to have to forge a new way to, to tell a new story, to become an actor, someone who chooses what they're going to do, rather than a reactor, someone who is simply reacted upon, someone who responds. Recently, a video has gone viral on social media, specifically on TikTok. That's right, I'm cool. I know about these things, right? Yeah, Austin is not nodding that I am cool. There will be retribution. Um, <laughs> even if this video doesn't know it, I think it's trying to address this actor-reactor issue and how often we feel just carried along, swept away, out of control in our own lives. Let's go ahead and show it, 30 seconds. You have to start romanticizing your life. 
you have to start thinking of yourself as the main character. Because if you don't, life will continue to pass you by. And all the little things that make it so beautiful will continue to go unnoticed. So take a second and look around and realize that it's a blessing for you to be here right now. It's cute, right? You have to start romanticizing your life. You have to start living like you're the main character. The video has taken off like crazy. If you're on uh, social media much, you've probably seen it. Uh, it's got this call to action, to, to respect your role in the narrative. In fact, it's so um, popular right now. It's gone so viral that the new trend is to make videos making fun of this video. You have to start romanticizing your life. Live like you're the main character. But, but I think there's a problem with this philosophy that it presents. Because if life is a movie, you are not the main character. This movie is not about you. This is a story about Jesus. If we want to run with this idea that life is a movie, if we want to grab onto that idea, what you should be aspiring towards is the award for best supporting actor. And that brings us back to, to Diakonos. Best supporting actor, it's a good idea, right? They got something right out there in the academy. And this brings us back to the idea of the Diakonos. That if we are going to be the sort of people who embody the kingdom of God to the world, the kind of people who live a life of justice and peace and mercy and humility of charity and gospel love, we must submit to Jesus. And in imitation of him, take on the role, the status, the identity of a servant. If we are going to oppose the brokenness of our world, if we are going to confront sin and lead our communities towards Jesus, we are going to have to become servants. Jesus made it pretty plain, bleh, made it pretty plain in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. It says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. So what does it look like to be someone who can be one of these servant leaders in the face of a corrupt and sinful world? Paul gave us a list, actually. Um, Paul wrote a list in a letter to his friend Timothy, speaking specifically about this office of deacon servant that we saw instituted in chapter 6. Throw that up there for me. Uh, this is 2 Timothy. We're starting in verse 8. For those of you who want to be servants in the church, this is what you should be. Serious, not deceitful, not too free with the bottle, not in for what you can get out of it. They must... Be reverent before the mystery of faith, not using their position to try to run things. Let them prove themselves first. If they show they can do it, take them on. No exceptions are made for women. Same qualifications. Serious, dependable, not sharp-tongued, not overfond of wine. Servants in the church are to be committed to their spouses, attentive to their children, and diligent in looking after their own affairs. 
Those who do this will come to be highly respected. A real credit to the Jesus faith. Serious, honest, willing to face reality, not self-seeking, reverent, dependable, kind, attentive to their families, servants. Not all of us are going to be called to the office of deacon, but all of us are called to a life of service. When we embrace this, when we take on a life of service, when we serve others, when we befriend the lonely, when we stand up for the vulnerable, when we feed the sick, when we care for those at the bottom, when we champion justice, when we resist systemic evil, reject dehumanizing narratives, and stand up for the dignity of all, when we live into our calling to serve, we become Jesus to those around us. We become the means by which God answers prayers. We become the church. I want to close with uh, words of Paul from Romans chapter 12. He says, I can't think of a better way to end, a better way to charge. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, as a servant.